Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. We're in Ephesians, we've been in this little series and we're kind of getting near the middle, which is good, isn't it? We're getting through it and uh, what we're getting to is like the hinge of the book, if you like, of Ephesians, it's a letter and um, we said that in the first half, the first half is mainly about how we're saved, how it is that God takes people who've messed up and got everything wrong and forgives us and restores us and gives us a new start. And that's the same for everybody. How we're saved, whether, Paul says, whether you're a Jew or a Greek, slave or free, whether whatever our background is, Paul brings the same gospel about the same cross, about the same saviour, because there's no other name given, the Bible says, under heaven by which, by which people can be saved than the name of Jesus. It's only his cross, it's only his death and resurrection that's gonna uh, bring us from death to life. And then the last half of Ephesians, which we're about to get into starting from next week, is about the difference it makes now we're saved. So it was how we're saved and then now we're saved. How, how we were once dead, but now we're alive. And the difference that that should make. You would think it would make a difference if you used to be dead and now you're alive again, wouldn't you? Can you imagine what it was like for Lazarus? He dies, he's in a tomb, it's like done. Same as everybody, lots of people, everybody dies. But then, bang, 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 I don't know what happened. Here's a voice, here's Jesus calling him by name, comes out of the tomb, take off the grave clothes. You're not dead anymore. I mean, you hear about people having like a, a heart transplant or something and getting a fresh start. And, and they're like, that's it, life's never going to be the same again because I've, I've got this new heart, I've got a new life. But you know, to have been dead and then get a completely new life again, that's got to change something, you would think, wouldn't you? So in the first half, Paul's talking about how you got saved, how you were brought from death into life, into a new kind of life. So this first half... Paul's saying, I want you to know all about all the riches, all the, all the inheritance, all of the resources that God has got for you, all the potential, all of that energy, all of that power that God has put inside of you. That's what it's about for the first three chapters. And then there's three chapters more. And in chapters four to six, which you're going to start to look at next Sunday, we're going to see now the difference that makes to life practically in terms of things like relationships, with, with people, in terms of um, how, we, how it affects our work, for instance, etc. So if the first half of Ephesians is about our faith, the second half is about, it even goes on to our fight. And it is a fight in all those different areas. And Paul says, so I need to pray for you before we get into the fight. And he realises that. And he, he says, I'm going to get on my knees. And that was serious, because in those days, well, even now, Jewish people pray standing up. So when he says, for this reason, I fall down on my knees, this is like super serious. This is a big prayer that he's going to pray to God. And he's praying it for the Ephesians, but we remember, if you've been in this series, he's not just praying it for the Ephesians. This is a letter for us, for you and me too, because this is a letter that's meant to be for the church everywhere and anywhere. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it. I'm going to pray on my knees, actually, from Ephesians chapter 3. This is what he says. Verse 14, for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. 
I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And then he just gives praise. He says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And we say, Amen. Amen. So Paul prayed in chapter one, these people are going to know how rich they are, how blessed they are. And now he's praying that you're going to spend the riches. Because it doesn't matter how rich you are if you don't spend it. And everybody, we're all spending our lives one way or the other. We're all spending our time Recently, we've been in a, in, a, in a season here in the church. The thing is, as the church grows bigger, you, get, you see more blessings, but you also see more heartache. You see more hurts. You, you end up, you know, we, we're just connecting to more and more people. And the more and more people you connect to, you also end up connecting to more tragedy and more heartache and more pain. You, even, you actually, you know, you connect to, to, to great things that happen in people's lives. You also connect to, to death. Some people are really ill. Some people we've been praying for for healing. Sometimes we see breakthrough, we carry on praying. Sometimes people get sicker. Sometimes people die. And there's quite an emphasis on posture in Ephesians. And it's all about kind of how we pray. And so he's talking about kneeling here, but there's an old book by a guy called, a Chinese saint, I suppose, called Watchman Nee. And he, he wrote a great book on Ephesians, really, from Ephesians called Sit, Walk, stand and he's taking like themes out of Ephesians and so if you were here if you remember in chapter 2 he says we were like zombies in a graveyard but when we trusted in Christ something happened nobody else could see it but something happened invisibly and just because it was invisible doesn't mean it didn't happen you he says were seated in heavenly places in Christ when that happened it's like you were, you were taken out of this world. You remain in this world, but there's something spiritual that takes place that we're taken out of this world. It, you know, it's been said, there's a, a phrase, oh, such a person is so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. But actually, Paul would say the opposite is true. The more heavenly minded you are, the more earthly good you'll be. The more you make that focus, like Tina was talking about, about, about God and what's going on in heaven, the more power, the more difference you're going to be able to make here on the earth. Because we don't yet sit in heavenly places with Christ, that'll happen one day, but we do spiritually sit in heavenly places 
in Christ. And remember, if you've been in this series in Ephesians, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. He's always talking about being in Christ, the difference it makes. But to be a Christian is to be in Christ. He places you there. So you're seated in him when you, right now. What do we mean seated? Well, I hope you'll do this 100 homes thing. I can't remember what they said this morning, how many people they said have signed up for it. 25 people. I hope there's going to be more. I'm really praying for 100 homes. You know, and I'm hoping you're going to be one of them. Whether you've got a big house, little house, flat, it doesn't matter. You can invite people around. Just a few. You don't have to have loads. But what we're going to do is get to know one another better. But imagine you go and you get seated. They come in and they say, come on, come and dinner's all ready. It's all done for you. Come and, come and sit. Come and sit here. And you say, oh, no, I can't. I've got to go and, um, I've got to go and wash, wash. I've got to, I've got to go make, make the food. And I've got to sort things out. And, I, you know, I really need to, to get busy. I need to tidy up and clean. And they'll be like, what are you, what are you talking about? You're going to be insulted, aren't they? The host's going to be... Because all they want you to do is sit. All they want you to do is receive when you come like that. And you don't have to rush off and say, oh, well, I need to set all the places and put all the knives and forks out and all of that and, and do... No, because what do you do? Just sit. Just sit at the table. Some of us are no good at just sitting. You've got to be rushing around and doing stuff. It's like, no, be seated. It's okay. The host is saying, dinner is ready. Everything is prepared. All you have to do is sit down. Just sit down and enjoy what has been prepared. Be seated. When you sit, there's no effort required, is there? You just sit there. Rest. When we pray, we should pray from a position of rest. Rest in Christ. It's so much more powerful to pray like that. Just to get in that. I, get, I sometimes get in that. I got it in the worship before. We're standing, we're singing. And I'm not standing in a way. I'm seated. I was seated in that worship. I was like grounded in Christ. And it's like stop. You don't have to be the saviour of the universe, Anthony. You can't even save yourself. You know, just let him do it. Have you ever seen a throne? Ever seen the, the, like the queen's throne? We were recently, we went to Sweden and we saw thrones there. We got invited to it and we had a look in the royal palace. And, and you know, just imagine there's like a, a, a sovereign, a, a king or a queen. And like they're seated on the throne and they just say, come on, come and sit here with me. And what is that? That's the place of authority, isn't it? That's the place of power. We're invited to be seated in Christ in that place Amen. with him. When we pray, it's like we're in that place of authority to be alongside him. Isn't that amazing that you do that? Do we pray like that? Do we pray with that kind of authority? Or is it a kind of, oh, please, God, if you don't mind, sorry to bother you. You're, you're allowed to. To, to pray seated with Christ. And when we do that, you get power, gets released. Power to change. We're in this summer of change. Here's what I've discovered. We've got a thing, by the way, that we do, if you've not already done it, called Freedom in Christ. It's a fantastic course that loads of people at Ivy have done here where we, we kind of get these principles and underline them. There's another one that's going to be starting, I think September, October time. Sign up and do it if you've not already done that. But... What, what we're going to talk about there, what I've found to be true in my own life, is the power to, to, to change things, the power to break chains in my life and things that would bind me doesn't come from me trying. 
There's no power in that. I've tried it and, it, and trying doesn't work. It doesn't come from me shouting about it and struggling about it. It comes when I sit in Christ and in who he is. And things change like that. It's like um, habits and in my own strength, I struggle and it just gets worse. It just gets tougher. What if God is just waiting for you to sit still? So he can help. He's trying to wait for you to stop trying. To stop trying to free yourself and sort yourself out so he can do it. What if he's waiting for you to come to the end of your strength so he can give you his power? I found this to be the case in my own life. Just a couple of examples with regard to smoking. For years, I was a smoker. Big time. Cigarettes, then I stopped. I thought, I'll have a cigar. <laughs> I ended up smoking just about as many cigars as I did cigarettes. I was like, and I couldn't stop it. There was nothing, I couldn't do it. I would, I would try to. Anyway, you know, it just ended up in, in my life the way it ended up, ended up with all kinds of lies and things like that. Lying to myself mostly, but lying to everybody else too. We had this little dog. I used to take it for a walk. It didn't want to come. It'd be like looking at me, <laughs> pouring down outside. And, and everybody knew, all the family knew, he always off going for a smoke, but whatever. But I didn't admit it. I'm like, oh, I'm taking the dog for a walk. The dog's like, oh. <laughs> and I couldn't, I couldn't stop until I stopped. And then I stopped. You know what I mean? I like, I stopped. I just, I got like, all right, I can't do it. Lord, I'm going to, please, would you do it? Would you change what I can't change? It's not like a power, I have got the power to do this. You've got the power. Please give me the power to be able to change this. And he gave, he supplies power, the Bible says, to the weak. I was weak, I qualified. Seated with Christ, we get the strength. And then, we don't just stay seated, next thing is, Walk. It talks a lot in Ephesians about walking. Sitting is all right for a bit, but then you get walking. Walking means you've got purpose. Walking means you've got direction. He uses the word walk. You're going to see it as we go into chapter four and five a lot. Walk, walk, walking out. What it means to walk it out. From being seated with Christ in the heavenlies, then you walk out in obedience this new life in the world. And then finally, you take your stand. You can take a stand against the enemy, against the devil. And that's in chapter six. And that's our attitude in spiritual warfare, by the way. You don't, what you have to learn to do is, he says, is take your stand and retain the ground that God has already won. It's not even about taking new ground. You don't get to take new ground. The ground's won. You just have to stand. When he talks about stand, we'll get on to the Ephesians 6. He's talking about, he says, have your feet established with the good news. Roman soldiers would have these boots with like hobnails on them and like spikes on the bottom. They stamped in and they were immovable. Nobody's moving you. So he says, take your stand. He says, I'm praying you'll stand. You're not going to be knocked off course. So there's a way to pray. There's a walk to walk. And there's a warfare to fight. There's a way, a walk, and a warfare in Ephesians. Sit, walk, stand. So how do you move from sitting 
to walking to standing. You bend your knees. Every time you bend your knees. It's, it, that kneeling posture of prayer is what joins it all together. You move from sitting to walking to standing by moving on your knees, bowing your knees. Prayer ties the whole thing together. And at the end of the talk, and I invite you, even if you're sitting at the back if you want to, to come and get down the front here somewhere, get out of your seat and walk down here and come and stand at the front and then pray and we'll pray on our knees. If you're able to, if you've not got some physical thing that will stop you from doing so. And if you have, we'll pray for you and ask God to heal it. Because this letter isn't just for the Ephesians, remember. It's the most general letter that Paul writes. It's for all Christians everywhere. So why would he pray for us? And what does he pray for us? He's praying, Father God, I'm praying these people who you love, that, that they will be filled with all the fullness of God. Isn't that a crazy thing to pray? When you think about it. It's like trying to get the engine of a jet plane, a jumbo jet or something, and cram it into a mini. How is it going to work? But isn't it a great prayer? So is it working in you? Are you full of God today? It's meant to be so full we overflow. That's really what it means. The Bible would say, to the extent you are not full of God, your life is really empty. Whatever else you might try and fill it with. You can look like some people look like they've got a life that's very full, full of money and possessions and accomplishments and happy holidays and whatever else you might think. But you know, that isn't a full life. It's just actually surviving. It's just keeping going. It's not enough. How many of us know that you can have a very, very busy life that's still really empty? In fact... The way to a better life, the way to a fuller life, this happens to be here, the way to a fuller life is uh, to empty it. You have to empty it first. And then God fills it back up again. That's how we get a fuller life. It's not by me trying to fill up my life myself. That just leaves, up, leaves me actually empty in the end. But we, we're meant to, God gives us stuff to empty it out in some way. And then when we do that, oh look, it filled up again. We don't just live with some temporary fullness then. We keep on getting it filled up. It's a miracle that God, God does. I want to live full and die empty. And the only way you can do that is if you keep on emptying yourself for others. Because God is drawn to emptiness. When you feel empty, God's drawn to that and he wants to fill that up. But then, it's a bit like, you know, in the Old Testament they had manna, didn't they? And manna would only last a day. And then it would go off again. Because it was meant to continually be being eaten. It was meant to just, it was only for one day and then it would be useless the next day. And it's like I think about it in terms of uh, writing and speaking. And, and, you know, sometimes what I used to do, if we got a really good idea for a talk, I'd think, oh, that's good. A bit too good for this talk. <laughs> I'm going to, I'll wait, and in a few weeks' time, I'll, I'll, I'll use it then. 
you know what? What I found is it's better to just say it when God gives it you. Like, and trust that in a few weeks' time, he'll give you something fresh. Because that's how it works. We go and empty ourselves and God fills us up. I've, I've met people who have, in all kinds of ways, so much less, but so much more because they're full of God's fullness. Because why? They've, they keep getting it all out. Everything God gives them, they kind of get it out. They don't hold on to it for very long. They go, and, they go and give it away. They go and get it out. And when you do that, it's like, oh, it filled back up again. God wants to get out what he put inside you. So he can fill you back up again. Then you'll have a full life. You won't have a full life until you get out what he already gave you. Expend it. Spend it. I'm not just talking about money here. Would those people who are closest to you say that you are a person who is full of God, full of Jesus? Do you know anybody like that? I was starting to think, who do I know? That, you know, even when you knock them, that's what spills out. Something of Jesus spills out. I know what I thought about. I thought, my father in law, Alan, he's like that. It's just like, no matter what, knock him if you wanted to. And it's just love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's full of that love. I want to be more like that. And you know why? It's because he, he's always, always, I've known him, he's always, he's always thought about others. First, he's always been about how can I serve? And, you know, he used to, he, he, I mean, he's, he seems to me to have been old for a while. But... <laughs> He used to say, I'm going to run the old people about. I'm going to drive the bus for the old people. And I'm thinking, you're, you're, you're the old people. <laughs> but, you know, he was, he was emptying himself, emptying himself. And so he's full of Jesus, full of, of the right stuff. Do you know anybody like that? I want to be more like that. I want to, I want to, I want to be full I want to be full and I want to overflow. I want to say yes to Paul's prayer. Anybody else? Yes. It's a crazy prayer, like I say, but it's like having a space rocket crammed into a toy car or something. It's just amazing. But you've got to keep asking. I'm asking for more capacity. More capacity for all the opportunity that God gives you. I, I, prayed, I heard somebody say that, to pray that prayer about 10 years ago, and I've prayed it ever since. Lord, increase my capacity for my opportunity. See, I don't want to just have that. Actually, I want that. I want, I want to have a bigger capacity. And the way you get the bigger capacity is, again, you just keep on pouring it out and pouring it out. And God says, oh, actually, I've got more stuff for you now. You need, I need to expand your capacity. The old containers aren't going to fit anymore. We're going to get you a new container. Is that true? Yeah. Has anybody seen that happen? It's true. That's the way it happens. It's like he says, oh, the old way it used to be, that isn't working now. I'm going to fill you up. I'm going to fill you up, so I need to give you more space. I give you, need to give you more capacity, more opportunity, because the glass can only hold so much. That's no good anymore. There's something new that he wants to do. Do you know there's an energy crisis and the energy crisis, the greatest energy crisis in the world right now is the reservoir of God's love and power that God has already put inside of believers. 
the power that is contained inside, but it's not released. Paul is saying, and he's praying, every believer, every believer, that they would know the power, the potential that's inside of them, and that it would be released, unleashed. See, I've seen, I've seen this so often. It's not just new Christians, but it does happen a lot, too often with new Christians. People come in and they hear about God and what he can do, and they, hear, and they get excited. They hear about Jesus and his power, and they're like, they start to dream a bigger dream. They start to think, wow, it's, it, this could be true. Maybe I'm meant, maybe I'm, I was made to make a difference for him. I'm, made, I'm meant to do something bigger than the life that I already had before. Now I've got this new life. Now I'm not dead anymore. Now I'm alive again. They get this bigger dream, but then something happens and they let life contain it. They, put, they, they let somebody put a lid on it. They let like a, somebody else come and put a, a cork in the bottle instead of having it unleashed. You, know, you have got destiny. You have got vision. You have got dreams, but sometimes they're bottled up inside of us maybe maybe we're meant to unleash that maybe we're meant to ask God take the lid off and so that's what Paul's praying for this church and I'm praying it for Ivy I'm praying for everybody listening that that potential that power that is there that treasure that inheritance those resources that are inside of you would be activated so that together we'd really see the power of God flow and flowing out and the resource for all that power is in verse 16. It's all about receiving, he says, all the riches of God's glory. Have you received all the riches of God's glory? See, one of the greatest promises in the Bible is Philippians 4, verse 19. It says, and my God will meet all of your needs. How? Not according to your needs, but according to his abundant riches in Christ Jesus. That's how he wants to meet our needs. Not according to our needs, but according to his riches. Is that ever going to run out? Is that ever going to be like, oh, sorry, I haven't got any left? Not enough for you. No, it's, it's there and it's available for you. So what if tonight, what if when we start planning into the future, when I do start to dream about 20 years from now, what if when we look into the future, we, we make plans not according to my needs, not according to my riches, but according to his riches in Christ Jesus? Would that make us dream any bigger? Lord, increase my capacity for my opportunity. Lord, increase my capacity for my opportunity. Paul's saying, please, let the people in the church see this. He's crying out for it. Imagine, imagine the difference it would make in the world if the, if, if the church saw this, saw what was waiting to be released. If the church really had this kind of faith, this kind of abundance mentality. Has the church usually been like that? Uh-uh. That's why he has to go to his knees. That's why he has to pray for them. He's saying, Lord, fill them. Lord, release them. Release your power that you've put inside of them. Put the fuse to the explosive the dynamite that's in there. God, give them all the riches of your glory. He uses that word riches time and time again in Ephesians. Do you know Christians are rich? Yeah. You might not feel rich. You are rich if you're a Christian. Duke of Westminster just died. He died owning, it says, over eight billion pounds. If he died without Christ, he will envy you for all eternity if you're a Christian. Because he only got riches in this life. 
We've got everlasting riches. So he prays, and it's the same kind of prayer that he prayed in Ephesians chapter 1, that we would know the riches of the glory of our inheritance. Do you know the riches of the glory of your inheritance? He says, there's an inheritance from God that he's got for you with your name on it. Have you ever seen that program, Air Hunters? Admit to watching daytime TV. (laughs) And there's these people in there, and what do they do? They have a look, and they, they go and find people, and they ring them up, and they say... Is that Mr. Suchy's brother? Yeah. You've got a great aunt Ethel. No, I haven't. Well, you have. And you haven't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the good, good news and bad news. Um, <laughs> bad news, you had a great aunt Ethel. Good news, she's left you all this wonga. And it's like, so what? But, what, but it's no good unless you claim it. It's no good unless you receive it. It's no good unless you've got to come into the office. You've got to sign the papers. You've got to say, yeah, I'll receive that. I'll take it and put it in. Are you spending the inheritance? Are you spending everything that God's given you? Paul's praying. I want them to comprehend. That's the word he uses. It kind of word. I'll come back to that in a minute. How rich they are. I want them to really know how rich they are in Christ. He's praying this for every single believer. He would pray this for you. If the Apostle Paul was in here now and he knew you and he knew about your life and he knew what you were like, he would get on his knees and he would pray this for you. With all of his heart that you would know, comprehend, understand the riches of your inheritance in Christ. In chapter 1, he prayed we'd understand it. In chapter 3, he's praying not just that we'd understand it, but that we'd use it, that we'd take hold of it. The word that he uses for comprehend is actually apprehend. It's, it's from a, I think the Latin word behind that is all about in your hand. It's like you would take it in your hand. When I was in the place, if you were to arrest somebody, you had to apprehend them to arrest them. It meant you literally, you couldn't just say you're under arrest. If I was going to arrest you, I would have to come and put my hand on you and say, you are under arrest, or you're not under arrest. I've got to take your... I've got to take hold of it. Has the love of Christ apprehended you yet? Has he taken hold of you yet? That's what he's praying. I saw this um, while Googling. Next one. Is there a picture? I think. No? Oh, did I not put up one? I meant to put up a picture. Oh, all right. There was this thing in the newspaper from the 1960s. There was a guy called a Mr. Ellis. And he was like one of the richest men in the UK at the time. And it said that he, he had millions and millions of pounds in the bank. But he would go around, um, around Blackpool, selling matches. And he had like all this money, all these riches available to him. But it was like he never wanted to spend any of it. And he lived like an absolute pauper. We've heard of people like this, haven't we? Living like an absolute pauper, but he had all these riches that were accessible to him. He went selling soap door to door. It's unbelievable. But something way weirder from heaven's perspective is a Christian who has all of this inheritance and all these riches in Christ and then lives as if they haven't and never spends any of it. The angels are like scratching their heads over that. You don't live life to the full by trying to hold on to it. Jesus said the way, he said if anybody in this life wants to lose their life, <laughs> um, then try and save it. You just try and hold on to it and then you'll lose it. 
That's the only way. It says, it says, but if you want to gain life, you have to let it go. You have to let it go. When Jesus died on the cross, his last words were, it is finished. Mission accomplished. Philippians says that he emptied himself. It's like he came and lived full. Jesus was so full, wasn't he? He walked around full so that he walked through a crowd and a woman who had an issue of blood would reach out and touch the hem of his garment and he said, whoa, power went out from me. Why? Because he was full. And power came out of him and flowed out of him because he was that full because this woman drew upon that power. That's what happened. When he went around doing good, it says, and setting people free. He was emptying himself, emptying himself, but he always got filled back up again so he could fill up other people too. And then on the cross, as he dies, he says, finally, when he's naked, when he's given it everything for us, for us, it's finished. I've got nothing left to give. You can only spend what God gives you here and now. You know that's true, don't we? All the talents... All the abilities, all the calling on our lives, everything. The miracles that God has put inside of you so far are just waiting for you to start to pour them out. And when you do, he'll, he'll fill it up again and he'll give you more. But how can he pour into something that's already full? Not even God can do that. This is why generosity, it's how generosity works. You give it out, you give it out, and then God goes, oh, good, they've given it out, now I can put more in. I'll actually increase their capacity because they've done that. Don't say you're getting ready to do it. Don't tell me you're getting ready to spend it. This life is not a rehearsal. It's the only one we've got. We have to get empty. We have to get rid fast. That was another thing I read John, John Wesley said. He wrote a letter to a woman. And he says, that's how I am with money. He says, I, I get rid of it fast because I don't want it to spoil my heart. And like I said before, I've had to deal with a lot of deaths recently and I'm still having to deal with that. And every time it happens, it always makes me realise whether it seems like a long time or a short time, it's always a short time. It's always a short time in this life compared to eternity. So that means now is the time to live full by getting empty. What's the secret of releasing God's power? The secret of releasing God's power is knowing God's love. Do you know the love of God? God has got an unbelievable, uncontainable amount of love with your name on it. It's incomparable it's eternal it's infinite and knowing that love really knowing it is fundamental to seeing his power God is wanting to show us that and Paul is asking God please help them comprehend how much you love them how big and wide and deep and high your love is let them measure that unmeasurable love and then he prays in Ephesians 3 17 18 Paul prays that by God's power, the Ephesians will know God's love in its height and its depth and its length and its width. And the word for know is not about your head, it's about your heart. Because he wants you to experience it. Not just know about it. 
It's not just so that we'll intellectually grasp it, it's so that we'll really take it in here. And as I think about this, I see that our problem is not one of fully knowing. It's, a, it's about, we don't really, really, really know. Do you really, really know how much God loves you? We'll never know, but do you really know? Paul's saying, I'm praying that they get it. Because that's a miracle when it happens. It's a miracle for anybody to really get how much they're loved by God. And he says, here's why I want you to know it. Verse 19, literally it says, because then you would be able to live in the fullness of life and power of God. If you really knew how much you were loved by God, then you would really live in the fullness of God. And he prayed for that to happen. Because he knew, I know when I'm preaching, there's nothing physically I can do to make you get that. I can spend hours, and I sometimes do, trying to craft the perfect sermon and get all the words in the right order and even get things to rhyme and start with the same letter and all kinds of stuff. But ultimately, I can do all of that and I can try and speak with all the passion that I can muster and all of that and I can put in some jokes to break it up. I can do all of that, but it's never going to happen without his prayer. And I have to confess, I can put a load of time into that sometimes, but, but maybe I've not prayed enough for you. I've not prayed enough for you to be able to get that, like Paul would pray that you would receive that. But I'm, you know, I suppose now is the time. Lord, I'm praying now for everybody who's listening to this, that, that you would apprehend them. You would take hold of our hearts with your love and never let that go, that it would just take hold in here so that it's unshakable, it's undoubtable from now on, that we would get, that you would know the love, the height, the depth, the width of that love. Help them to understand. Maybe this is new to you. You could be new to Ivy, new to this church, new to the whole God thing. Somebody brought you along. I'm praying for you that God would, that penny would drop in some way, that, that it would come alive for you. The reality of this. I can't convince you about it. That's why Paul dropped to his knees. It's like, you know, I can't make anybody. It's like sometimes over the years, I've tried to a little bit match make. You know, there's somebody in church and I think, oh, well, you know, him, her. Maybe if he met her, I might be good. And you know what? It's always a disaster. I'm rubbish at that. I can't convince that person to love that person. I can't do it. I can't convince anybody to love God or to know how much God loves you. That's why he's on his knees praying it because that's how it has to happen. I can't make you fall in love with Jesus and I can't make you know how much he loves you, how, how, how precious you are to him. All I can do is make the introduction and let you know that you know, if he's the creator of the universe. He's, he's the most beautiful God and he's, he's come to earth to find us, to meet us, to know us and to love us and to, not to come and condemn us but to save us and rescue us and, and take us to be with him so that we get loved by him forever and ever and ever. That he was dying to love us. 
despite how wicked we are at times. Oh yeah, I use that word. Despite how messed up we are. That he would love me anyway. And that he would love you anyway. I can't, I can't do justice to that kind of a love. But now he can come by his Holy Spirit. And when he does, and he puts that in your heart. It does change everything. To know that. That I know I'm, I'm loved. I'm loved, I'm loved. No matter what. I'm eternally loved. Do you know you're loved? Amen. Do you know you're loved? I'm asking, do you know? Do you really know? Yes. Some people, I don't know. Paul would pray, know it. Own it. The love that surpasses knowledge he talks about. It's like, don't just know it. It's, it's, it's more than knowing it, receiving this love. There's a mystery to it. I used to think, you know, it was unbelievable. But then when you believe it, it changes everything. So more than anything, I pray this for you. What Paul would pray, that you would know the love of God that is for you in Christ Jesus. Because it changes everything. And then when you know that love, you'll know his power. And you'll empty yourself in love for other people. And you're going to see him filling that up and filling that up. And you'll live a full life. So again, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to ask you again. Some people I don't think got it first time around. Do you know you're loved by him? Do you know it? Do, I don't mean just mean in a God so loved the world kind of way. I mean you. As an individual. You, personally. That he's mad about you. That he thinks you're, you're amazing. That he thinks you're gorgeous. Do you know that? That's what he thinks. Because when you get that, you get that security before God. It's not about the things I've done. It's about what he's done. And he's proved it on the cross. And I'm never going to be able to do anything to run away and get far away from that love. When you get that, there's a security. Unshakable. People see the difference. People around you will start to see the difference when you know that. When you wake up in the morning and you wake up in the morning tomorrow morning and you say, I'm loved with an everlasting love by Jesus Christ. The love that surpasses knowledge. Don't tell me about my sin. I know about my sin. He knows about my sin. But there's a love that surpasses knowledge. Don't tell me about all the times I've messed up. I've had all kinds of promises that I made and broke and all that. Don't tell me about that. I know about that and he knows about that. But there is a love that surpasses knowledge. That's why he prays. You would be rooted and established in love. The roots of the tree mean it's unshakable. Established means like the foundation of your life. What would your life look like if you were rooted and established in love? One of the most amazing verses in the Bible for me, I'm finished with this in a minute, is John 15 verse 19. And I read it just the other day and I was like, wow. How much do you think the Father loves the Son? How much do you think the Father loves Jesus? 
I can't even measure that. I can't understand it. Try and imagine that, though. It would have to be a pretty huge love, wouldn't it? That's why John 15, verse 9, is huge for me. This is what Jesus says. Just as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Just stay there. I want you to stay there in my love. Don't go anywhere. Sit there. Remain in my love. In the same way as the Father loves Jesus, Jesus loves you. Come on. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.